Well, good morning to each one, and I greet you in Jesus' name. For a message today, I invite you to Galatians chapter 5. Today we will continue in the study of the fruit of the Spirit. We are ready for the last of the nine fruit, which is self-control. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. When you think of self-control, what comes to your mind? What do you think of? The fruit self-control, as we find it here in Galatians 5, has the thought of strength, inner strength. It has the thought of to be strong. It means one holding himself in. Self-controlled is defined as the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. And so often when we think of self-control, we probably think first of being in control of our sensual appetites. And the verses previous to the fruit of the spirit verses, verse 19 through 21, we have the works of the flesh list. And I'll read that again. We read that in a previous message, but I'll read it again. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you before, just as I also told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These sins here are described as the works of the flesh, or simply the results of life without self-control. The end of verse 21 says, those who practice or perform repeatedly such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Heaven is a place for people who by faith said no to the works of the flesh. With the power of God, I will not do it. With the power of God, I will not practice such things. In fact, I will not even read about such sinful things. I will not watch movies that act out these sinful things. The Bible says the judgment of God will be poured out not only on those who practice the works of the flesh, but also on them who take pleasure in them that do them. In other words, those who practice the works of the flesh, along with those who simply sat on the sidelines and took pleasure or enjoyed the sin being practiced, 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. Several weeks ago, I preached a message on heaven. And after I preached that message, several of you said to me, after that message, you said to me, now that you preached on heaven, will you now preach a message on hell? I appreciate the challenge to preach on hell. I want to be balanced in sharing the word of God. I really do. I do not want to dodge the subject of hell. This sermon today is not necessarily a sermon on hell, but yet in a way it is because our eternal destiny, heaven or hell, is dependent on self-control, if we have it or if we don't. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The word death in this verse is more than just being dead. It's an eternal state of death. The Bible refers to this eternal state of death as hell, a place of eternal fire, a place of eternal torment. The way that seems right to man, the way of no self-control. If it feels good, do it. Everyone else is doing it. It's just how people do it nowadays. It seems right. However, the end of such a way, no self-control, is eternal hell, eternal separation from God. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Revelation 21, verse 8, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their place in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There is a picture of a group of people who had no self-control on this earth. Revelation 22:14 says, Blessed are those who do his commandments. There is a group of people with self-control that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Again, a picture of people lacking self-control. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. What is that destruction? It's hell. It's eternal separation from God. And there are many who go in by it. 
because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. The very concept of self-control implies a battle between a divided self. It implies that our self produces desires we should not satisfy, but instead control. With the enabling power of God, we must deny ourselves and take up the cross, like Jesus said, and follow him daily. Self-control is a part of growing in Christ. Yes, many of us have achieved self-control many, in many areas of life, and we praise the Lord for that. However, we know all too well our self produces desires that should be denied and controlled daily. And so exercising and growing in self-control will always be part of the Christian's journey. It's part of fighting the good fight of faith. If you are here this morning and you believe you have achieved self-controls in all areas of life, the Bible says to you in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If you are here today and God is calling you to higher ground, let me encourage you with 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the very next verse. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. The battle you are facing today the battle that is real to you right now is a common battle. It's something that someone else has faced as well. It's common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you be, to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so God is good. And he wants to help us with our battles. The children of Israel were promised the land of Canaan. Think about that. They were promised the land of Canaan. However, they had to take it by force. With the power of God, they conquered the enemy but it was one city at a time. We too are promised the fruit of self-control, but we too must take it by force. With the power of God, we will conquer the enemy, but it's one city at a time. The battle for self-control is a battle of one more, one more. At least that's how I found life. You, you get the victory. You got it. Praise the Lord for it. But then over here, God is calling you to self-control. And so the Christian life is self-control is part of the Christian life. It is part of fighting the good fight of faith. I want to look now at a story in the Bible of a man who was totally out of control, 
And then something major happened to him, and he became a man in control of himself. You can turn to Mark chapter 5. Now, while you're turning to Mark chapter 5, I'll make a couple comments about the end of Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, the disciples, Let us cross over to the other side. I just recently learned that the other side implies more than just crossing the lake. They are going over to a Gentile community. You see, they were going to the other side of the tracks, the other side of town. Let's go over to the other side. There was more into that than just crossing the lake. Because one of the first things we're going to see is pigs, right? Gentiles and pigs, they go together. And on this way across the lake, there was this horrendous storm. And the storm, it was so bad, the disciples thought they were going to die. They thought that was it. And then we know how Jesus calmed the storm. And so these disciples, if you can picture the disciples here, they just survived a storm of a lifetime. They're still, knees are still shaking, they're still white in the face, their clothes are dripping wet. And now, Mark 5, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadareans. And when he came, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had been dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broke in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, 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 for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned it in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see it, what that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, 
and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed possessed, begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim it in uh, um, we'll just skip over that. All that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. You know, I can pronounce these words before I get up here to preach, but when I get up here to preach, sometimes I just, I don't know where it went, but it's not here. So anyhow, you saw the word, you know where it was. I have several lessons for us to learn from this story today. And the first lesson is, no man could tame him. No one could tame him. Proverbs 25 verse 28 says, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. And so it was. This man's mind was controlled by Satan. And under Satan's control, he was more dangerous than even a wild animal. Folks tried to control him with shackles and chains. And it says he would pull the chains apart and break the shackles in pieces. Totally out of control. This is a picture of a man lost and without Jesus. And you know, so are we without Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. You see, without Jesus, there is no self-control. Such a person cannot be tamed. They tried using shackles and chains to control him, but it didn't work. And so chains and shackles will never change the heart. You know, it's possible with strict church rules and legislation to produce a certain look or identity, but chains and shackles will never fix the issues of the heart. You can have all the rules you want, you can put all the safety measures in place, but it won't produce godliness. And so the first lesson, under the control of Satan, a person is out of control of his life. He has no control or he has no control how far 
Satan will take him down. Satan will decide that, not you. No man can tame someone who is under Satan's control. It's impossible. The second lesson, lesson two, when he saw Jesus. That's lesson two. When he saw Jesus, verse six. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. I don't understand and I can't explain how this man, so wild and uncontrolled, recognized Jesus from a distance and how he knew to worship Jesus. I don't understand that, but he did. All I can say, this poor, helpless man got a glimpse of the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, and he was drawn to that light. And it says here, he ran and worshiped him. Verse 7, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. The question here, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Well, he was about to learn of the grace of God, had everything to do with him. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses of sins, even when we were running around in the tombs and the mountains, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see, there is hope for everyone. There is salvation for everyone. From the wild man living in the mountains and tombs to the child that grows up in a Christian home. The light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ is for everyone. It's for everyone who will believe. And so this out of control man, when he sees Jesus and acknowledge him as the son of God, is now on a path to victory. Which brings us to lesson number three. Lesson number three is, oh, victory in Jesus. We see that in verse 18 through 14. We see who has the power. Satan has the control of this man, but that's about to change. Jesus has a conversation with the demons. Come out of this man, unclean spirit. In other words, go, leave. You are no longer in control. And not only did Jesus have the authority and power to tell the demons to come out of the man, he also had the authority and power to tell them where to go. And boy, did they ever go. What a sight that must have been. 2,000 pigs full of the devil running headlong into the sea. I would have loved to have seen that. Oh, victory in Jesus. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. The fourth lesson I see in this account is 
a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In verse 14, the word gets back to town about the pigs, the drowned pigs. Verse 15, they came back to see what had happened. It says, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Three things immediately stood out to these folks about this once demon-possessed man. First of all, he was sitting. That was different. They knew him of running wild. The second thing, he was clothed. That was different. And the third thing that was really different, he was in his right mind. And the people were fearful. Before their very eyes was a changed man, transformed by this man called Jesus. They knew that no ordinary man could ever do such a thing because they had tried. They tried. You know, the difference between worldly self-control and godly self-control is who gets the glory for the victory. Worldly self-control says, look at me. Look at what I accomplished. I've been victorious. I got it done. Godly self-control gives Christ the glory for the victory. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When self-control is exercised by faith in Christ's superior power, Christ will get the glory. And I believe the people standing around Jesus and this changed man knew without a doubt that Jesus was the reason for the miracle that had taken place. And what an opportunity it would have been for these folks to reach out to Jesus in faith. But instead, they pleaded with him to depart from their region. And how sad it is that they did not accept him and believed in him. The fifth lesson I see in this account is get in step with the Spirit. Get in step with the Spirit. Verse 18, the disciples and Jesus, they get back into the boat. This man who had been demon-possessed, he begged Jesus that he might get in the boat and go with them. And I think I would have wanted to leave too. I'm sure the people there were still upset about the loss of their pigs. And um, I think I would have wanted to leave as well. However, notice verse 19. Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you 
and how he had compassion on you. And so he did. And it says in the end of verse 20 that people marveled. People listened. People were accepting his message. And what a blessing that was for him, I'm sure. Get in step with the Spirit. Several things I would like to think about as we think of getting in step with the Spirit. One of the things Jesus did here for this man is he gave him a healthy spiritual focus. Go tell your friends. A healthy spiritual focus will do wonders for a person. Why is that? Why is that? Well, I believe it is because the battle for self-control is first a battle of the mind. And if we can win the battle, when the battle is in the mind, we will be a victorious Christian. However, if the battle for self-control leaves the mind unconquered, we are in great danger spiritually. And so Jesus gave him a healthy spiritual focus. Go tell people about how I had compassion on you. And so he did. And so a healthy spiritual focus will be very helpful to us. Fill the mind with good things. Surround yourself with good people. Be accountable to people you trust. Colossians 3, 1, 2, and 3 says, If you were raised with Christ, th seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Another important part of growing in self-control is walking in step with the Spirit. In the Greek, this expression literally means to walk in line behind a leader. In other words, walking in the Spirit is a beautiful mutual effort. It's you and God, side by side. Walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We cannot expect to grow in self-control by doing nothing. Growing in self-control takes more than mere human effort. We must seek out the Spirit's help in prayer. Seek to obey God's commandments as revealed in his word. The Spirit will be there to empower you to obey him. And always remember, obedience is joy, and sin always brings misery. And so in conclusion, not quite closing, we're just winding down, but in conclusion, do you want to experience the fullness of spiritual growth and maturity that Jesus has for you? Is that what you want this morning? I believe it is. It begins 
and ends with his spirit empowering you to have self-control. Now self-control is probably the least flashy of the fruits of the spirit, but it's necessary for spiritual growth. And all the other eight fruit are depending on self-control. Self-control and showing love, even when it's hard. Self-control and seeking joy in difficult times. Self-control and pursuing peace in the midst of hardship. Self-control and choosing patience when you don't want to wait. Self-control to be kind when it would be easier to fight back. Self-control to be good when you want to go up against God's goodness. Self-control to stay faithful when you want to give up. Self-control to be gentle when it would be easier to be harsh. You see, with the fruit of self-control fresh and alive in us, there will be abundant blessing, fulfillment in life, peace with God and others. With self-control, you can resist sin and temptation that can so easily bring pain and heartache into our lives. With self-control, it is possible to achieve earthly goals. You can enjoy being all that God wants you to be on this earth. You can thrive and be a blessing to others around you. Yes, living a life of self-control will be hard work. It will not always be easy, but it will always be worth it. And remember, obedience is joy, and sin always brings misery. The Bible says in Titus 2, 11 and 12, for the grace of God, listen to this, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 14. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening for the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promises, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved brethren, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. We'll call for a closing song. <clears throat>